Y'all be acting like I owe you something. What do you owe you for? Satan got you with the lie, that's that okie doke. I've been where you at, I know how you feel. Devil all up in your ears saying, God ain't real. Turn on the news, or you see deception. Manipulating your emotions, changing your perceptions. Now you're thinking, man, God ain't real. If he was, why you letting all these folks get killed? Babies born as crack fiends, never touch the pipe. Breathing through a respirator, trying to clutch the life. You know, when I'm at work, I'm always listening to different documentaries and podcasts, things of that nature, you know, to get me through my day. And I like to be informed on things, right? So I happened to come across this discussion between black liberals and black conservatives. I thought it was pretty interesting because I kind of told the line, like, I'm not a liberal or conservative. I have liberal views on certain things and conservative views on certain things. And I honestly believe that it's doing yourself and your country an injustice whenever you vote one way down one side because there's no way that liberals are always right or conservatives are always right you know what i mean so if, if america and, and you and your family best interest is at hand and at heart then there's no way you would vote one ticket one way it's impossible but anyway let's get past that let's get past that while they were talking they were both hitting on good good views and giving great answers man i'm listening to really intriguing and then all of a sudden the topic of slavery came up now check this out the first thing I hear the black conservatives say, almost in unison, is slavery. Get over it. You know what I mean? Like, like slavery. Like, and and they said to their defense, they said, you know, let's not forget slavery, but we have to get over slavery. You know what I mean? We got to get over slavery. And the thing is, something of that magnitude, you do not get over. Something of that magnitude requires a discussion. It requires closure, and it requires you getting past it. Once you get all that together. You get past it. You don't get over it. You know what I mean? That's like telling someone involved in sex trafficking or human trafficking or whatever, get over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you don't do that. How do you do that when you're talking about people being lynched, murdered, and raped? People being worked from, from sunup till late in the night for no pay, no nothing, man. You know what I'm saying? People being sold, children being split seeing their mothers and fathers being taken from them, watching their child being sold off to another plantation and never seeing them again. You don't get, you, you, to formulate the words, get over that is amazing to me anyway, especially from a black person, not a black conservative, a black person. Slavery ended with the Emancipation Proclamation. It hasn't even been 200 years yet. You understand what I'm saying? Nowhere near, we still got about 40 more to go almost. So check this out, man. Let's go through some history right quick. Let's go after slavery because we need to get over slavery, right? I want to know how do you get over something when you're constantly being reminded that you're a second-class citizen, when you're constantly being reminded that you're looked at as less than human, when you're constantly being reminded that you're inferior. And if you want to understand what I'm saying and where I'm going with this, let's go. The Tuskegee experiment began in 1932. 1932, at a time when there was no known treatment for syphilis. After being recruited by the promise of free medical care, 600 men, 600 black men, originally were enrolled in the project. The participants were primarily sharecroppers, and many had never before visited a doctor. Doctors from the United States Public Health Service, which was running the study, informed the participants they were being treated for bad blood, a term commonly used in the area at the time to refer to a variety of ailments. The men were monitored by health workers, but only given placebos, such as aspirin and mineral supplements, despite the fact that penicillin became the recommended treatment for syphilis in 1947. They had a treatment for this, but they didn't want to treat the disease. They wanted to allow it to tear these men's bodies apart and see what happened. 
when it goes untreated. That's horrible. The public health service researchers convinced local physicians in Macon County not to treat the participants. And research was done at the Tuskegee Institute. In order to track the disease's full progression, researchers provided no effective care as the men died, went blind or insane, or experienced other severe health problems due to their untreated syphilis. In the mid-1960s, a public health service venereal disease investigator in San Francisco named Peter Buxton found out about the Tuskegee study and expressed his concerns to his superiors that it was unethical. In response, public health service officials formed a committee to review the study, but ultimately opted to continue it with the goal of tracking the participants until all had died. Autopsies were performed and the project data could be analyzed. As a result, Buxton leaked the story to a reporter friend who passed it on to a fellow reporter. Gene Heller of the Associated Press, Heller broke the story in July 1972. In 1972, this started in the 1930s. It was a 40-year experiment, man. This is amazing. Prompting public outrage and forcing the study to be shut down. By the time 28 participants had perished from syphilis, 100 more had passed away from related complications and at least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with it and the disease had been passed to 19 children at birth. That was just one thing I'm just telling you about right now. But you say get over slavery. This is past slavery and this is what's happening. But you know what? I know what you might be saying. You may be saying, hey man, that, that was something that started back in 1932. Yeah, but it didn't end to 1972 and it only ended then because someone outed it and put it out there. But let's go even deeper, man. Let's go even deeper because I want to make sure when this topic is done, when we're finished with this, when we're finished with this podcast here, that you guys are enlightened about this thing, man. Let's go to Emmett Till. And in a minute, I'm going to hit y'all with stuff you haven't heard of. But I just want to enlighten you to some things, okay? This happened in 1955 when this kid was murdered, man. That was 65 years ago. Only 65 years ago. While visiting family in Money, Mississippi, 14-year-old Emmett Till, an African-American from Chicago, was brutally murdered for allegedly flirting with a white woman four days earlier. His assailants, the white woman's husband and her brother, made Emmett Till carry a 75-pound cotton gin fan to a bank of the Tallahatchie River and ordered him to take off his clothes. This boy was 14 years old, ordered him to take off his clothes. The two men then beat him nearly to death, gouged out his eye, shot him in the head, and then threw his body tied to the cotton gin fan with barbed wire into the river. Roy Bryant, a proprietor of the store and the woman's husband, returned from a business trip a few days later and heard how Emmett had allegedly spoken to his wife. Enraged, he went to the home of Till's great uncle, Moses Wright, with his half-brother, J.W. Millam. The pair demanded to see the boy. Despite pleas from Wright, they forced Emmett into their car. After driving around in the Memphis night and perhaps beating Till in a tool house behind Millam's residence, they drove him down to the Tallahatchie River. Three days later, his corpse was recovered but was so disfigured that Moses Wright could only identify it by an initialed ring. Authorities wanted to bury the body quickly, but Till's mother, Mamie Bradley, requested it to be sent back to Chicago. And as you know, she had an open casket funeral because she wanted the world to see what we should get over did to her son. And that was just 65 years ago. On September 23, the all-white jury deliberated for less than an hour before issuing a verdict of not guilty explaining that they believed the state had failed to prove the identity of the body. <laughs> the state, not that they, these guys didn't do it, 
but the state failed to prove the identity of the body. Many people around the country were outraged by the decision and also by the state's decision not to indict Millam and Bryant on the separate charge of kidnapping, which they should have. It was an open and shut case, right? The uncle saw it, the cousin saw it, everybody saw it, but they didn't even indict him on that. Carol Bryant is the woman that said he harassed her. She's the cause of all this. In 2017, Tim Tyson, author of the book, The Blood of Emmett Till, revealed that Carolyn Bryant recanted her testimony, admitting that Till had never touched her, never threatened or harassed her. Nothing that boy did, now this is Carolyn Bryant saying this, this is her words now, this is quoted, nothing that boy did could have ever justified what happened to him. Nothing that boy did could have ever justified what happened to him can't get over this type of stuff folks sorry you don't get over this type of stuff all right you don't get over this type of stuff but let's go even let's go even deeper man i want to make sure that i'm driving the point home here all right now we can go into the jim crow laws i know y'all know what that is right that's the segregation separate but equal blacks get that stuff from around back Black get the, the worst education while the whites get the good education. Black sit in the back of the bus while the whites sit in front of the bus. Remember that? How long ago you think that was? Because we're not talking about slavery now, but we're talking about we're talking about slavery lingering, right? That was 52 years ago when that ended. 1968. Jim Crow laws ended in 1968. 52 years ago. 52 years ago. You got to get yourselves together, man. This is this is not something you get over. You don't get over that. How do you get over that whenever it's, you're constantly reminded of it? Again, they still talk about lynching. You still hear news stories about people finding nooses, black people finding nooses outside their door, finding nooses hung to a tree, being told they're going to be lynched. Get out, nigger, and stuff and everything else. Come on, bro. You can't just get over stuff like this when you haven't even had the time to dialogue about it because the people who caused it don't even want to talk about it. Not to mention the KKK is still alive and doing very well today. So all these things from slavery days are still here. They're still here. So it's not like we're just holding on to something that's gone. This is still here. This is still here. You still have spots where you go into a courthouse and you seeing a Confederate soldier or a Confederate general as you go into this courthouse for your fate to be handed to you. Come on, man. Let's go to Black Wall Street. Have you ever heard of Black Wall Street? If you haven't, you really need to look that up. But I'm about to enlighten you a little bit on that, man. Check it out. In 1921, Tulsa, Oklahoma's Greenwood District, known as Black Wall Street, was one of the most prosperous African-American communities in the United States. But on May 31st of that year, the Tulsa Tribune reported a black man named Dick Rowland attempted to rape a white woman, Sarah Page. Whites in the area refused to wait for the investigative process to play out, sparking two days of unprecedented racial violence. 35 city blocks went up in flames, 300 people died and 800 were injured. Defense of white female virtue was the express motivation for the collective racial violence. 9,000 people became homeless from that. Black Wall Street had banks, hotels, cafes, clothiers, movie theaters, and contemporary homes, not to mention luxuries such as indoor plumbing and a remarkable school system that superiorly educated black children. The creation of the powerful black community known as Black Wall Street was intentional. 
O.W. Gurley, a wealthy African-American from Arkansas, moved to Tulsa and purchased over 40 acres of land that he made sure was only sold to other African-Americans. The average income for black families in the area exceeded what minimum wage is today. They were making more back then, 100 years ago, than what people are making on minimum wage today. As a result of segregation, a dollar circulated 36 to 100 times and remained in Greenwood almost a year before leaving. Even more impressive at the time, the state of Oklahoma only had two airports, yet six black families owned their own planes. Six black families owned their own planes in 1921. This shows you what unity does. These African-Americans' economic status could not save them from racial hostility of their day. It couldn't save them from the racial hostility of their day. You have to understand something. Racism has been alive and well since the founding of this country. And it's going to be alive and well for a lot longer than what my conservative brothers and sisters on that panel believe. And I'm just in amazement. I'm guessing, I don't know if they did their research. I don't know if to them it doesn't matter because it's all the past. And maybe they'll say everything that I'm saying now is the past, right? So let's check this out. Let's get a little more modern right quick. And I'm about to blow y'all's mind with this because everything else has been, you know, years ago, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. How about the two French doctors that was just that, that was just on live television, not caught, not caught on live TV talking about it, but said it openly. Let's go. A discussion between two top French doctors on live TV left viewers horrified when they proposed that Africa should become a giant laboratory for coronavirus vaccine testing because the continent lacked the resources to defend against COVID-19. This just happened Wednesday. Wednesday. This is 2020. Just in case you guys need to know, this is April the 13th, 2020. All right? So this is now. This is now on live television. In the segment broadcast on French TV channel LCL, Jean-Paul Mira and Camille Lodge, I'm assuming, raised the idea of testing new vaccines on impoverished African populations. Mira said, if I can be provocative, shouldn't we do this study in Africa where there are no masks, no treatment, no intensive care? A bit like we did in some studies on AIDS. We tried things on prostitutes because they're highly exposed and do not protect themselves. Locke agreed saying, you're right, we are actually thinking of a parallel study in Africa to use with the same kind of approach with BCG placebos, referring to the vaccination against tuberculosis that Insurm says has appeared to protect children against infections, particularly respiratory ones. We will, in fact, think seriously about it, he said. And this is on live television. The footage broadcast Wednesday triggered a deluge of outrage, accusing the doctors of white colonial latitudes. My goodness, this is amazing. On Thursday, there were more than 6,700 confirmed cases and 229 deaths in Africa. France alone has logged 59,105 infections and 5,387 deaths. So why the heck are they not doing it there? Africa, 6,700. France, 59,000. But yet you want to do it in Africa. And we should get over slavery, though. Get over slavery what? Get over slavery and get under this? Listen, all right? I'm going to end it with this. This is not about liberal or conservative anymore. This is really not even about black or white as much as it is about right and wrong, okay? It's not right for you to tell people to get over something that is constantly being thrown in their face. I don't know this panel's history. I don't know what they've been through. If they've been through the little bit that I've been through, 
then that even shocks me even more to my core that they would say get over slavery and get over this and get over that. Racism is real and you can't get over something that's still alive and well. Of course, it's not as blatant as it was before because it's not legal, quote unquote legal, as it used to be. Before it used to be where you can hang a black person up by a tree and you can make a phone call and people will bring their kids and everybody is out to watch it and take pictures while doing it. Because it was legal, it was nothing. We were less than a dog to them. So I just need you to know and I just need you to understand something right quick. You have to tread lightly with that subject of slavery. You have to tread lightly with telling people to get over something like that. Because the truth is, you can say that you're over it, but you're not, you'll never be over it. As long as the foundation of slavery is still alive and well, the horrors of it will be alive and well as well. Y'all be acting like I owe you something. What do you owe you for? Satan got you with that lie. That's that okie doke. I've been where you at. I know how you feel. Devil all up in your ears saying God ain't real. Turn on the news. All you see deception. Manipulating your emotions. Changing your perceptions. Now you're thinking, man, God ain't real. If he was, why you letting all these folks get killed? Babies born as crack fiends. Never touch the pipe. Breathing through a respirator. Trying to crush the light. Book of Toad family, this is your man Truth from Truth Never Lies, 411. You don't put it on my heart this morning to talk to you guys about something, so I'm putting it on yours, man. And that's stjude.org, S-T-J-U-D-E.org. At St. Jude's, the family has never received a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. St. Jude has helped push the childhood cancer survival rate from less than 20% when they opened up to 80% today, 80%, and they won't stop until no child dies from cancer. St. Jude freely shares the discoveries it makes, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use that knowledge to save thousands more children. It'll cost approximately a billion dollars to operate St. Jude's this year. Because more than 75% comes from generous donors, St. Jude has the freedom to focus on what matters most, and that's saving kids regardless of their financial situation. Do you hear, did you hear that last sentence? Saving kids regardless of their financial situation. Do you know how many of us perish in this country alone because our finances are not in order when something happens to us health-wise? Do you understand that, man? Look it up for yourself. St. Jude, man. I haven't contacted them. They haven't contacted me. I'm doing this of my own free will because I believe in what they stand for. We are one. Shalom.